0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Right-ish podcast. I'm your host, Robert Zell, and first I want to apologize for like not uploading for the past like five or six weeks. It's been's uh, been you know, I'm, I, I can't say I've been hyper busy or anything. I've been, you know mostly reading and doing research, finding really interesting things and putting things together. And honestly, it was like I didn't know what to do the next podcast on because I just kept going on from one thing to another, and it was just I don't know, it was really exciting. But anyways, I figured I'd discipline myself a little bit and try to get back into it, try to, you know, put some stuff out there and and uh, make sure to give you guys some information on, on what's going on with different things in the, in the world so you guys don't have to, you know, stare at a computer screen, screen for uh, 12 hours straight. You know, I figured that's probably a helpful thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I figured today it would be kind of smart just to talk about something that's least relevant to uh, a lot of the people I know, which is... Uh, the problem with china and how is it relevant well okay so we we've had this discussion um in the political sphere of whether china is is good like the things that have happened in china are good or the things that have happened in china are bad and should we be concerned about china or is china gonna blow up our our country? are they gonna send nukes over are they gonna you know hack all of our all of our facebook's and and post all the embarrassing photos of us so I mean, you know, who who knows what's going to happen with China? I mean, they're they're pretty crazy. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're they're, uh, you know, they're, they they are China. China is China. That's the deal. But yeah, I wanted to dive into that, see what was going on uh, with with them, and uh, yeah. So we'll just start a little bit before the interesting stuff. So there is this guy um, Mao Mao Zedong. We all we all know him. We all love him. Who was kind of the the head honcho. In, in China for a while and so what he decided to do is is like whack a hundred million people in the process of trying to turn China into some agricultural behemoth and things didn't really work out and you know one central plan after another it you know it was just catastrophic and eventually had to be abandoned so obviously jumping over a lot of things. We get to this point uh, around late 1970s, early 80s, where China started to figure out, like, you know, we have a lot of people. We could be very rich. So let's kind of embrace the market a little bit and break our, break from the, the, uh, the, the whole communism thing, kind of. Although they made a lot of good excuses for it. But uh, what they saw was massive growth. They saw this, you know, this massive surge, you know, in the, in the sphere of relevance. Went from some uh, just sweatshop, which they they were for a very long time, into something that's a little bit more more you know high end and and uh, you know something that would maybe surprise you. Some of the cities are absolutely beautiful. We'll get into the the whole uh, skyscraper thing later. That's actually something I am going to make a note of at the very end because that's very important and I think it's really cool. So skyscraper, we're going to talk about that because that's actually very serious and very important. Oh my gosh, that's like, so, okay, all right, okay, we're going to talk about that later. But, <laughs> but oh, okay, so China China had this massive surge, pulled 500 million people out of poverty, lifted wages dramatically. And so now we're in this world where China is a freaking big deal. China is a really big deal. And so and that, that makes me want to do another freaking note. And also we're going to do that one, the environment, that's important. Because higher wages, uh, the the uh, Kuznets curve. That's the we're talking about that later. Oh my gosh! Wow, this is great. It's great. So many ideas. Um, (laughs) So we had this amazing surge of 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 growth, and now wages are actually going up in China, which is nice. And uh, we're we're really excited. uh, You know, I mean, at least they're excited. I think that you know, the world, um, at least in a perfect world, we ought to feel more assured when our neighbors least globally speaking are, are living better lives and able to provide for themselves so that they don't have to like you know shoot shoot each other to get another meal right that's that's a good thing now I had to take a sip of a beverage but there's there's a little bit more to what's going on than than first glance you look at their balance sheets things look great you know the 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 uh, the growth looks really smooth um oh that's weird uh, the average the, the the growth, the projected growth of all the provinces in China, all of all of their their uh, growth projections and their growth um, measurements supposedly, are higher than the average, all of them. It kind of invalidates the whole idea of an average, right? So that's weird. So are they finicking with the, they're messing around with the numbers? Oh, okay, so certain studies show that GDP might be overstated by one point five percent. Um that's not good. So yeah, you dive into the balance sheets, you you take a look at some of the other metrics, you you look at uh, electricity usage, you look at freight, and you look at other proxies for GDP, you're getting a much different number. You're getting a much different growth pattern. And if anything, what we've been seeing is a massive slowdown in China, massive, massive slowdown. And you're thinking like, that's weird, because I mean, they're still like, you know, producing a bunch of stuff, and you're right. They are producing a bunch of stuff. Um, companies, I believe it was 2012, probably probably a little bit off, but 2012, we'll go with it. Um, they, they reigned in about $5.8 trillion in profits. right? And that sounds like a very good thing. That's a substantial amount of money to be earning. But when you take into account subsidies and, and all the other help the government has, has put in place to actually prop these businesses up, you find that they break even. You find that they break even, guys. That's pretty bad. Like, that, that's that's very bad. Like to have to to have to rely that much on the government is insane. It's absolutely insane. So where where does all this money go? I mean, to, to have to spend that much is 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 crazy. So you you have to think like you know. I mean, could it be put to better use? And it definitely could be put to better use. That's that's the thing. So we'll. We'll get, into, um, we'll get into to the gist of it. We'll get into the nitty-gritty. So first, you have uh, this whole problem with overproduction of products and underproduction, right? And this weird kind of... China has a lot of, like, duality. It might be something to do with, like, Taoism. I don't know if, it, if this is a thing. But um, they have these weird situations where they're just incredibly overproductive for no reason because they just want to keep people employed. So steel is an example. I mean, they're, they're producing so much, I mean, that they, they, they don't even know what to use. They don't even know what to use it on. They don't even know what to use it for. They keep making projects, which is why their infrastructure is going o- over the roof. We'll talk about that in a second. But it, it's just insane. I mean, you know, they, they've been – the government really is, is kind of one of the drivers behind this, of course, when, when you have a centrally planned economy. So the steel industry in particular is very interesting. Uh, they, they received about 4 trillion uh, yuan in, in subsidies. And basically, the company didn't know what to do with it. Like, you know, yeah, we'll we use it to pay the bills first. But then, like, you know, okay, well, we have this many trillion left over. And what do we do with it? And so what you end up happening with this overabundance of cash, just this, just a, oh, too many handfuls to even count. You end up getting misspending, miss miss, malinvestment. And it ends up, you know, going into shadow banking and stuff like that, which we'll probably end up talking about later as well. There's so many things to talk about, guys. Holy crap. Um, that, you know, it's, it's really just unproductive money. I mean, especially when you're, when you're producing in excess, you know, where you don't even know what to do with it anyways. So you have this crazy amount of overproduction, not just in steel, but in things like, like real estate and apartments. We've all heard of these, these ghost towns where you have these, like, you know, mega cities, uh, just, you know, crazy big hundred thousand people plus, uh, but they're empty, right? Or at least enough apartments to fit a hundred thousand people. Like, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, and many of these cities were meant to house a million. Thank God they haven't, they'll probably end up building more cause that's just China. But you know, it, I mean, it's just all this open land and the, the crazy thing is when you actually look at the, the numbers as a whole, like it's, it's nuts. So China has three point, uh, enough housing and apartments and all that stuff for like 3.4 billion people. They only have like, like a little bit over a billion, right? So you're, you're thinking, okay, a little bit much, right? So you're, you're sensing you know, housing prices are going to fall because you know supply is excessive, demand isn't enough to meet supply. And so you expect kind of a, a drop in housing, housing prices. And since 20% of China's GDP today is tied up in real estate, China's like, oh shit, we can't do that. So, pardon my language, by the way. If there are any listeners that don't like to hear me say a bad word, I apologize. It's like one twenty three in the morning. My filter is way off. But, you know, 20, anyways, 20% of GDP in real estate. And so, what does is, what is Beijing decide to do? They're like, alright, well, we're just going to do what the United States does and flood money into the market. You know, make people want to spend, buy real estate, do all the crazy stuff. And so... They've had some success. I wouldn't even call it. Some, I mean, they're, they're still basically ghost cities. That's the problem. But they've, had, they've been able to move people in there through coercive means or not. And, and w- one of the side effects is that they basically created two kind of housing markets. So there's one where it's like, you know, you're barely able to fill up the out, outer areas of, of the, the, the provinces. And the other problem is that, like, you have major cities like Shanghai and China. Where the cost of real estate is twenty times the amount of the, the average wages of of workers in that area, right? So you've probably heard Dave Ramsey talk about like, yeah, you probably shouldn't buy a house that's three times tr- times your uh, your your wage or your your yearly yearly salary. But imagine like twenty to one, like Dave Ramsey would have a seizure, he'd pass out and die. Like it's it's kind of crazy. So I don't think we're we're any of us are fans of seeing that happen. And uh, one of the other issues is that. It, it's got gotten to the point where, where China and many of these provinces are freaking out, trying to earn revenue because, uh, they they just have to subsidize everything, that they're they're kicking people off their own land, to steal that land, and then to actually sell it, to land developers so they can like you know do all this crazy stuff and make money and hopefully people move in and you know pay rent and buy buy food at the local you know grocery store or whatever, so it, it's. It's nuts. Chinese people, the, the government, sorry, doesn't care about its people. And it's really awful and terrible and miserable. And so I told you about all the other things that these local governments are subsidizing. And we talked a little bit about steel and a little bit about the real estate and all that. And so what else are they subsidizing? Well, in China today, we'll, I read a book. I read a book. And this is where a lot of this information is coming from. It's called The Great Wall of Debt by Denny McMahon. I believe it's Denny. It is Denny McMahon. He's an Australian financial reporter. Um, you should definitely check out the book. It's on Audible. That's where I, I listen to it. I'm not trying to advertise, not trying to. Bother. I'm just trying to, like, you know, cite my sources because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Like, if I said something and, you know, somebody else used my thing in a, in a paper, like, you know, cite me or cite the person I actually got the information from. That's great. But, uh, yeah, I got the information from Denny McMahon. Really, co- really great writer. Fun read if you're into, like, finance and stuff. Um, anyways so we had this we well china has this issue where, where they have 3500 companies which they call zombie companies and zombies like like chinese people kind of imagine them differently like imagine like like people who like imagine like vampires who bounce around like like on two feet like bunnies and like in, and they obviously suck your blood and then they got like the rotting the skin thing that's what they imagine like zombies as not like the, the crawling like, you know, like slow-moving kind of deal that, like, eat your brains. But, yeah, anyways, interesting fact about the culture. Um, so, yeah, they have, they have these 3,500 zombie companies that are just, like, basically on idle, where they're producing at, like, 60% capacity and d- losing money every day. Uh, but they're making sales. And that's important for the local governments because they're, they're paying value-added tax on these sales. And so as long as they're staying afloat, it actually costs the, the, uh, the local governments less money to subsidize them and keep them there rather than having to have those businesses shut down and losing that source of revenue. And so you have this whole situation where, where these governments are having to prop up businesses that aren't actually adding any value into the market. And that's a problem because economists love value, they love efficiency. You know, I can't do any of that that propping up stuff that's just whack unless I don't know you're some crazy person but you know hey uh, there are plenty of those too. Um, so that's that's not good. none of us like like inefficiently use tax dollars like we'll you know grab our pitchforks and stuff and yell at, yell at people but in China you get shot so you can't do that. Now you can yeah you just get shot. <laughs> so all right so we, we talked about zombie companies we talked about, crazy real estate stuff and uh well okay so yeah that's that's a good good bit of it but then you have the problem of like okay well uh, what about like private individuals what about their wealth i mean they got to be starting up businesses and stuff and and they are they actually are uh there's a lot of financialization going on in china which is pretty cool pretty good to know about and so but (laughs) the weird thing is like it's very much different so you look at like what a trust is here and what a trust is there totally different you look at what equities are and what equities are or not equities but um derivatives are there and derivatives are here different so it's like from the outside it looks very much like what we have here but on on the inside it's like you know different names for different things it's like you know you you work in a restaurant and and you got to label all the cans of stuff with with all the, the ingredients for the food you make and then you know somebody mixes up all the labels and you're like oh gosh it's a disaster right but they've allowed a lot of financial innovation, so they've actually done a lot of very interesting things. One of the things that's been a really big hit are these things called WMPs. So they're wealth management products, and basically it's a combination of a whole bunch of crap. A lot of them corporate loans, uh, uh, government bonds. So they're relatively safe, and they give a relatively good amount of um, amount of interest, and that's awesome, right? So you, you know you have people building wealth, but you also have this like weird shadow banking thing going on, which is pretty which is cool but but like you know Xi Jinping the the president doesn't really like it. So you have like you know people like individuals you know doing P2P loans which is like people to people. And so you, you have like a website um where you know like it's like GoFundMe basically. And so you have somebody like hey I'm starting a business I want to do like a loan, right? So it's not just like crowdfunding, it's like a loan, right? So you have people want a loan and then people want to ask and you know it's like it's it's really great. It's like a win-win. Um the only problem is that the amount of money flowing into the economy right now is, like, incredibly excessive. Like, it's insane, right? So the government's spending a bunch of money, and, and people are starting to kind of grow their wages, and, and now they, they're in a position where, like, they can, they can spend a bunch of money. And so what's going on is there's this over-financialization, and people are trying to, you know, buy stocks and, you know, bonds and, and uh, trusts, you know, whatever the heck they are in China. And, uh, and it's kind of taking away capital, um from a lot of the, the the more productive things now obviously some of those are tied up in in businesses and and some of those investments are tied up in businesses and more productive things but a lot of it's like in real estate a lot of it's in in random stuff like people have been investing in like like uh like you know collections of like muay thai like it's an alcoholic beverage i think i really hope i didn't pronounce that wrong but it's like it's an actual thing apparently like you know you, i thought it was a karate move um but It's very exciting. People are investing in things that, that are, you know, earning them good returns, but it's not like actually productive, right? Which is like the weird thing with real estate. Like real estate is is good because you get to live in a home or whatever, but when when an economy is so dependent on real estate, it, it can actually drag things down. It can actually drag things down. And why is that? It's because like your house doesn't produce more things, right? I mean, you know, it allows you to live there and, and have a life and, you know. Raise your kids and, I don't know, maybe teach them how to ride the bike, you know, around the, the driveway if that's your thing. Probably need a sidewalk. That's a public utility. But anyways, um, you know, it's it's good in that regard, but it doesn't, like, really, like, give back, right? And so it more more or less just holds money. It's an investment vehicle, right? I had to take a drink because it's very warm in this back room, but... That's, that's the thing. So when you have a lot of money going into assets like like real estate, like Muay Thai bottles, and uh, random things like uh, like jade. Jade's very popular in China. Um, then it, it kind of just sits there, and it doesn't really create more growth. Like, you know, a lot of times, like, investment begets more growth, which begets more investment. But when it goes into things like real estate and stuff, it doesn't really, like, produce. I think I've, I've beaten the dead horse on that one. So so it, it's good that people are actually having access to wealth, but it's bad because it's slowing down growth. And what what's been the, the, the scary thing for China is that they used to have like 10 percent growth. Now it's more like five point five percent. And and it's been kind of scary because it's been really slowing down hard, really hard. And that's that's something that they're really concerned about. A lot of it's due to this corruption we talked about. And so uh, President Xi Jinping, I'm. I, like 80 percent sure that's how you pronounce it he's been really cracking down on corruption in the country which is a good thing right we, we all want you know people to be treated fairly and money to go to the right place um he he has had a hundred thousand local officials arrested he's had 200 of the really high-ranking officials in, uh, arrested and so you think like wow that's that's very good he must be doing really well he must be making a lot of progress but apparently not Apparently not. Uh, the people who jump right in tend to be just as corrupted as the people who were there before, which is an issue. It's a revolving door of of just people wanting to get fat checks and cash out, you know, which is unfortunate. And there are many examples of of people like like you know getting forty million dollar deals from companies and and uh, you know like just absolutely just having it right. Mm-hmm. And with the, uh, it's funny. So one of the most common things, you know, we talked about the, um, the, uh, the building of all this crazy real estate. Like there, there, there are people who are like local officials who like cut deals where like, they just like get an entire apartment complex. They're just like, yeah, you know, if you give that one to me, like we're good. <laughs> so it's really great. It's really great. So they have that for their family. It's under like different family members names, like definitely not suspicious at all, but that that's been the real problem. So, so cutting down on. On corruption and, and all that mess uh, is has been a real challenge for China actually, and it's it's got a lot of got a lot of backlash and and uh, it's it's one of the things that might very well slow things down. And it kind of just goes to show that you know there's still going to be greed, regardless of whether you you put your power in the hands of a of a of a, a market, you know, as, as the way we know it or if you put it into this massive central planning committee with local government officials and, and all, all the like. So yeah, so they, they got problems. They really do, they really do. Uh, let's see, I don't know, I could probably pull out a bunch of other fun stats. So investment's pretty bad. Um, in the United States, I think non-performing loans, which are loans that just don't work, um, something like 1% of loans. So that's like manageable, right? But if you're in China, how does like four to twenty percent sound? Four to twenty percent—it's it's pretty scary, right? And there's this kind of culture. Like we, we have this thing where it's like buyers beware. So like if you invest in something, like you know, like there's there's a thing called risk and reward. And sometimes when you invest in something, you, there's a risk associated with it. So you might not actually get your money back, right? That's important to know. And China doesn't really think like that. Their population, their culture doesn't really really accept that so whenever like you know something bad happens let's say they they invested in WMPs a, a certain mix and th- things go south and it gets really really messy and then the people who, who invested in those things they go to the banks who, who set them up or the town halls they'll hold up signs and they'll, they'll ask for a bailout They ask for government to, to fix the problem because it's you know, at the end of the day the government's supposed to ensure growth and and you know keep things chill And that's actually the the most interesting thing. One of the things that's the most important to to any any government official, high or low, is maintaining social calm, right? If they can keep people chill and prevent a riot, a really big riot, then then it's okay, right? They can continue to beat people over the head and do what they want, but as long as they don't get too, too mad. So they go out, they protest, the government tries to shut them up, and then eventually they just give in and, and bail them out. And that's actually been a lot of uh, the issue, just keeping the thing afloat, right? And that's that's really been the struggle that they've been going through. So what this kind of, oh, and, and also just the fact that their future's not looking too great either. I was about to jump to the last point, but I was like, oh wait, I had, I had to get this part in. Um, <coughs> oh my gosh. So China's been doing stupid stuff. And during their growth, uh, it, it's actually really, really interesting. Um, they they did pollute a lot. They actually polluted a great deal, and so what happened with that was that now like twenty percent of their, their their farming land or the land that's available for farming is unusable because of their their lack of care for the environment and uh, because they they're just they're, they're China. I mean you know they gotta produce at all costs, and sometimes the cost can really bite them in the butt. So they're de- they're dealing with the uh, the problems of. Of their their uh, their negligence in the past, right? Kind of kicked them in the butt, and frankly, the the people of China are now kind of like starting to realize, like you know, maybe it is important to take care of our environment and to make sure that like we have something to give to our kids that's not just trash. So we've really seen this kind of like uh, this surge of of environmental uh, productionism and activism, which is awesome Uh, to to a degree. I'm not full-on, you know, Green New Deal, but, you know, hey, d- don't litter, please, um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it's very good to see that, there's this thing, fun fact, there's this little thing that, I, I, I think it's a coot, uh, the Kootznitz curve, right, so it's kind of like the Laffer curve, same kind of deal, so, um, when an economy is developing, right, when they're trying to just get off the ground and, and feed their people, there's not a lot of care for the environment, and, like, fair enough, you're trying to feed your people, you're trying to, you know, make your kids, you know, lives, not miserable. And so you're going to, you're not really going to care about the environment. You're going to do whatever you can to, you know, make things work out, pollute a bunch, whatever. And then once things get to a certain point, right, once you're you're fed well enough and clothed and, and you have a roof over your head, then you can kind of start to care about other things, right? So th- there's this point where people start to care more about the environment. And so they, they start to, uh, Less, they, they become more active. Uh, regulations start to kick in. And it, it's overall a pretty good thing. And it happens pretty naturally. China is a perfect example of this. China is a perfect example of this. And it's funny because they actually laid back on the regulations recently because they know that the UN uses um, uh, proxies for measuring China's GDP such as pollution and uh, freight and electricity. They even keep the lights on too. It's hilarious because they, they kind of caught on to what what the the United Nations and and the U.S. government was doing, so so anyways, that's that's the environmental factor that I had, I had uh, talked about earlier, but didn't want to didn't want to go over. I happened to look at my notes and I was like, oh yeah, that that thing, yeah. And also the uh, there's there's really some ominous uh, things going on that uh. So we talked about skyscraper and I went I went crazy earlier. All right, so here's what it's about there's this thing it's kind of crazy it's called the skyscraper curse and people don't really know how to explain it but basically what's what happens is whenever there's like a world record attempt at building a skyscraper like maybe not a world record attempt but like they're building big skyscrapers like you know all over the place like that always proceeds like just before like it happens just before like a major uh financial catastrophe this is the case with the Great Depression, like I believe it was the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building, um, Sears Tower, uh, a doggone World Trade Center, preceded the stag uh, the uh, the oil crisis of of seventy three, I believe. Um, uh, the building in Dubai that was right before <coughs> right before the uh, the Great Financial Crisis two thousand eight and uh, and I believe it was the. Doggone flippin'. There, there's, an, uh, there's another really big building that I know they're building right now, and it's... I'm an idiot. I can't remember it. But, you know, they, they always happen to build really big buildings before something crazy happens. And right now, I believe it's, like, like 50-something out of the top 100 tallest towers in the world are, have been built or are being built right now in China. Like, they have just these massive superstructures just all over the place. Even in places that are, like, super poor. Like even the poorest provinces have these skyscrapers going up, like you know, three hundred, like five hundred meters tall, and and it's just you know, like like who even needs it? <laughs> so w- why is this the case? It's not that skyscrapers actually cause the problems. It's that they're kind of indicators. They're like like you know, like taking a pulse of the economy. And so what it t- t- what it typically means is some se- in some sense overconsumption, overspending on things like just malinvestment doing stupid stuff like hey you know why don't I just build this massive skyscraper you know like why not and also a lot of people just acting like idiots right so like you know if people are acting like idiots and spending too much money that's typically the the, the, the kind of the beginning of uh, some kind of financial crisis like you know just if you're not spending your money wisely which which makes sense so a lot of good stuff I think Mark Thornton uh, he's with the Mrs. Institute. Has a whole whole lecture on the skyscraper, um, the curse, and so I would look that up. It's it's on YouTube. He probably has a few. He's been doing these lectures for a long time, so they're they're probably like 50 minutes long. He really goes into depth and uh, goes into you know how interest rates play along and and uh, increase uh, real estate prices so people you know maximizing their space more. But yeah, yeah, very cool stuff, and uh, I think really. We can boil down and, and just kind of to close we can really boil down a lot of china's problems to this this idea really well articulated by by um uh, frederick hayek and, and uh von Mises, called the calculation problem it's a calculation problem and what what it really really sup- or well what it, what it tries to say is look if, if you're an essentially planned economy like First of all, figuring out prices is not really possible. Like, at least prices that properly uh, display information, right? Because I don't think people realize it. Um, prices are a are communication of information, right? When a price goes up, you can kind of figure out why with a couple other hints and, uh, uh, of sorts. So, like, you know, maybe maybe there's a hurricane, and all of a sudden, like, you know, uh uh, generators. The price of generators skyrocket, right? So you can kind of like, you know, pull things together and you can figure out what actually happened. And uh, and conversely, you know, if if prices fall for a certain good, you, you might say, okay, well, maybe people aren't buying this. That might be a reason to be concerned. Like, you know, if you go to the store and it's like 80% off everything, like, well, they're probably not doing too great with their business. So I don't know. Well, maybe Maybe there's a reason why. Maybe the products aren't great. Who knows? But they communicate information right and when when a market doesn't properly communicate information it it results in a lot of problems and when you have to presuppose everything the prices of everything the prices of of salt salt's actually very important in china um salt prices of steel uh you know and and we're to allocate resources to these these firms It, it just it becomes a mess right and you know, again, it's not like the people who are who are leading this, this charge of um, Chinese imperialism are idiots. Like, they're very smart people, right? But they're still making blunders like the, the $4 trillion to, to the steel companies and they don't know what the hell to do with it. Or the massive investment in real estate, 3.4... Enough housing for 3.4 billion people with a country that only has, like, just over a billion. I mean... Stuff like that still happens. It still happens. And mix that with self-interest by, by very greedy government officials. Not all of them are greedy, I'm sure. Then you get this kind of situation that, that you can only really imagine ends badly. And the sad thing is that, you know, the, the people, it's the people of China who are going to be suffering and who, are gonna, who have been suffering Right? Now, again, their, their development has presented massive yields of uh, prosperity and uh, perhaps a better livelihood. But you have to think, you know, many of these people, they haven't really been able to live, live the, the life that we've been able to live. They haven't been able to go out and do everything they want to do. Now again, we have our own set of rules, but you know, e- even just speaking out against something, that you don't like, or, or you know, starting your own business—it's very hard, and it's very dangerous at times. And so, you know, when, when we talk about you know, tar- tariffing China and you know, you know, wrecking their economy and all that, we have to kind of take you know, Xi Jinping's face off of off of this this abstract entity of what China is, and we have to look at. Who, you know the, the broader picture right there are real people there that you know just want to have a shot at a better life and so that's definitely just something to think about definitely something to think about and uh, I guess on that note um, that this is yeah that's pretty much what I have to say. now I, I hope you guys enjoyed this one I think it was it was really fun to talk about it and it'd be cool if like I had a room of you guys here i um, just hanging out. It's, it's kind of boring. Quarantine really is boring, but listen, if, if you guys really enjoyed this, if I, if I did a good job of explaining information or, or, uh, you know, maybe I didn't do a good job, let me know. And if you really enjoyed it, uh, please feel free to share it with, with your friends. Like, feel free to, I mean, like, it's not like you know, I'm pulling anything to your head. <laughs> um, but you know, if, if you could share it with your friends, let them know what's going on. Um, you know, that'd be really great. I'd really appreciate it. I'm just trying to grow and, and trying to reach more people. And really, my my hope is to educate people and, um, you know, pre- maybe prevent them from having to stare at a computer screen for like 12 hours. Like, that'd be pretty good. I think I already made that joke. God, I'm so bad. Um, <laughs> but anyways, really, thank you guys for listening. This is, this is a blast. And uh, I hope to have more conversations soon, maybe on something interesting like, you know, male median income stagnating what the heck's going on there um you know uh more coronavirus stuff because like i feel like that's all we talk about um middle income gap that, that's something we could have talked about here but maybe i'll save that for another episode i'm gonna have to actually because we've already gone this far anyways again thank you guys and have a good one